This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Steelers fall to the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau Field 27-17. The losing streak now reaches three games. A lot to dive into here on this edition of the Steelers Standard with myself, Tom Opperman, and Jacob Recht. This is going to maybe sound a little bit weird to you, Jacob, and maybe you didn't think that I would say this to start this podcast off this morning. What's that? But I actually think the Steelers showed signs of improvement on the offensive side of the ball in their loss to the Green Bay Packers. I think they were I think they were able to get some running game going a little bit. I actually think the offensive line played okay for once this season and the protection around Bend was okay. Again, I don't want to be coming out here banging my chest and saying everything's fixed the offense looked great it's just a matter of running into one of the best teams in the NFL if it was if it was 28 other NFL teams out there the Steelers would have walked away with that victory I'm not saying that at all all I'm saying is that I kind of feel like coming away from that game there were some baby steps taken on that offensive side of the ball to get some improvement going that's fair my my big concern with that statement is you put up seven points in your first drive for the first time in however many games. You put up first quarter points for the first time in however many games. Both had reaches had reached streaks of nine or eleven games. Uh, and then you kind of just stay stagnant. You go idle for the rest of the game. You put up ten points after that first touchdown drive, one of which kind of came in garbage time. I think the game was pretty much a lost cause. By the time you had that Najee Harris touchdown run, that one-yard touchdown run. So really, you only had three points of significance. And you could have had seven more had that block field goal not been called back. But again, that wasn't by your offense. So I can understand why you you can look at this with a somewhat positive outlook. Because, yes, Najee Harris looked to have a productive game in the offensive line seemed to do a decent job of pass protecting and run protecting and run blocking but still Tom you have to think realistically here that this offense can't seem to put up more than what 13 16 points per game no question there's definitely still a lot of bad that you can look at I guess that you're saying it's a baby step it's just better than it was that's all I'm saying and I, I think that that's a fact when you look at they scored two touchdowns, and that was the first time since week one that the offense has scored two touchdowns in a football game. Again, so, I'm again, not, babies, not... baby steps. Ba- maybe not even steps. Maybe this is baby's you know, first time crawl. where he can pick his head up and crawl yeah. for himself. Maybe that's a better way to look at it because, again, I'm not trying to say that the offense is fixed. They know exactly what to do moving forward now. All it takes is a little bit of a lesser opponent playing the Steelers, and this is an easy win. No. Not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there's some encouraging things that you can pull from this game. It's not like they were completely, completely dead in the water. But I will say the biggest criticism is what you kind of just said. You get out to an early lead. That's the thing that's been plaguing them all year long Mm -hmm. is getting that fast start offensively. They score a touchdown on their first drive. I think Ben was something like four for four on that drive or something crazy like that. And then he hits the 45-yard pass to Deontay Johnson for the touchdown to put the exclamation point on a phenomenal opening statement by the Pittsburgh Steelers. But then it's like you said, they just kind of went stagnant after that. And even if you can't get the ball into the end zone, you would have liked to see them advance the ball into Packers territory more. 
you would have liked to seen them have Boswell get a couple of chances. So I'm not sitting here saying, oh, you scored on the opening drive. I want at least another two touchdowns. But it would have been nice for them to have at least, say, 13 points by the halftime. Just get a couple field goals on the board and show that you can move the ball. I'm not saying you end every drive in the end zone because, again, that'd be a little uh, far-fetched of an expectation based on what we've seen from this offense so far. But I agree with you that once you score that touchdown, you need to at least extend drives more than they did. You need to at least flirt with field goal range more than they did at all after that first drive until the second half when they started scoring again. Maybe the reason I don't I don't look at it as much as a step, if not a crawl at all, is because I have this recency bias in my head, and that's because if you look at the first half compared to the second half, they really slowed down in the second half, and that doesn't even have to, anything to do with the fact that they scored on their first offensive drive and the touchdown. Look at their drives in the second half, Tom. A punt, turnover on downs, another punt, another turnover on downs. Then you get the Najee Harris touchdown, and then Ben throws that interception. I mean, the, the interception, the game was over by that point, but still, it, it's just it, it felt very similar to the – to the second interception that Ben threw against the Bengals last week, where it's just the game is over, but you still see them fighting, and then you turn the ball over. The first half was really well done, honestly. No, that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. I, that's why I think yeah. I, I'm a little more negative because the second half rings out a lot more because that's more recent in my memory than the first half. The one thing that really jumps out to me in that first half, other than the field goal, which we'll spend a decent amount of time on in this episode talking about, but... The fumble on the Steelers' third possession. Ben Roethlisberger, hand hit in the pocket right when he was about to release the ball. It was a fumble for sure. The Packers recover. They only have to go four plays and 23 yards to find pay dirt there. That's the one that really stung. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you go up 7 nothing. Then you Well, tra- that's the difference, Tom. Then you trade a couple punts, and then the Packers score. But they score on a long drive, and that's going to happen. You're so used to... Watching this team, you're so used to playing from behind. For the first time in nine or eleven games, you are now playing with the lead early. You're 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 not you're not ha- you don't have the lead late in the game because you crawled back. No, you have the upper hand to start. And then they go down and they have that long scoring drive, which does happen. It, it's Aaron Rodgers. That's not gonna be a hundred percent preventable. But you're tied and you're thinking, okay, well we allowed that long touchdown touchdown drive. It's fine. The score is still even. But then when you incorporate the fumble into it, short yardage situations, we've kind of ha- seemed to have had this conversation before where the offense makes the defense defense's life a lot harder than it needs to be. They go down and they score within three plays. And now all of a sudden, within three plays, you're playing from behind again. But at least it's not 14 nothing. It's 14-7. to No, exactly. But you can't play with fire like that. Right. I mean – how many times have you heard people say that since the Steelers talent wise are at a disadvantage more than they really ever have been in recent memory, you have to play a perfect game of football if you want to beat really anybody in the NFL this year, but especially if you want to beat teams like Buffalo and Green Bay. Uh, We saw what playing a perfect game of football can do week one when they beat the Buffalo Bills, probably the biggest upset to date in the 2021 NFL season. Uh, at least off the top of my head it is. And you needed to play that brand of perfect football to even have a shot against the Packers. You could play your perfect game and you'll still go down to Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field, but to even have a shot, you have to play perfect football. And they had, for the first two possessions, 
you know, going three and out on your second possession and having to punt the ball away, that's going to happen. I mean, Green Bay's not a slouch of a defense. And again, you're I'm going to call that perfect football. Your offense is struggling, but it's not bad. You're playing the field position game. You're already up 7 nothing. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, can't go three and out on your mm-hmm. second drive. But what I am going to go, you can't do that, is fumble the football in Green Bay territory because that is going to lead to a touchdown, I would say probably eight times out of ten when you give Rodgers that short of a field to work with. And you know what else kills you, Tom, is the fact that that touchdown drive, that first touchdown drive by the Packers came on only a, a 64-yard drive because Presley Harvin had a a beautiful not, punt, one of his best ones of the day. Right, and I was going to say, it's not even his worst punt of the day. You actually put the ball in a deep position no, for the good, Packers, yeah. and they methodically get down the field. You allow these short drives for Aaron Rodgers. As you said, you're going to have to play perfect football if you want to beat this guy. Well, you turn the ball over, and you give them a four-play drive, right? And then later in the game, Presley Harvard has that really, really Terrible bad. Punt. I think it was the first drive for the Steelers. I don't know if they went three and out, but it was a short drive. They were backed up on their own, like, 10-yard line or something, 20-yard line. And the punt travels, like, 30, 40 yards down the field. And the Packers are starting on their on the opposite side of the field to start that drive. And guess what happens? It's another short drive that results in a touchdown. That's, that's the problem, Tom, is that, yes, you have to play perfect football if you want a chance to be Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And there were two drives that were absolutely killer. There was the drive that resulted of the fumble by Ben Roethlisberger, and then the Presley Harvard punt allowed two short yardage drives for the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers, you can be damn sure he's going to take advantage of that. Yeah, and a, another point going off of kind of what you were saying, you know, you punted the ball back to the Packers. They gave them some pretty tough field position. They had to drive 64 yards to get into the end zone for their first touchdown. So your defense is out there grinding, trying to stop Rodgers as much as possible, trying to hold him to a field goal once they get into Steelers territory, and They're that doesn't work. They're out there for plays. It's and then time. they turn around three plays later, just 54 seconds of gl- game clock expired, and you're right back on the field with only 23 yards to defend for Rodgers to get back into the end zone. That's the deflating kind of thing that we've talked about all year long on this podcast, that you can't put your defense in those situations. You're relying on your defense to be the lifeblood of this team. If you're going to you know, kick the stool out from underneath them when they're trying to sit down, it's just, it's just not going to work, and that's, that's exactly what that fumble was. Uh, we talked about there were some positives that you can gain, and I think that the offensive line did play their best game this year but certainly not on the play when Big Ben got that pressure and got his arm hit before passing the ball because watch that again. It's not exactly like they were there in .4 seconds and it was like someone completely missed their block, but it wasn't like Ben was holding on to that ball for that that long in that situation. So take, no, the, go, take the go with the bad. I think they played their best game, but there were still a lot of problems with that line. A lot of problems, and that's been the narrative for the whole season. I understand why we're trying to find the positive here in this game because it was 14-10 at one point, Tom. I don't think any of us expected it to be. That's what I'm saying. Like, And I don't think losing 27-17 to 17 in Green Bay is that bad. Like, I think it could have been a lot worse, honestly. I thought so, too. I think we said on our show last Friday 
my prediction was 31 to 6. Here's the thing. Say the Steelers take care of business against the Raiders and Bengals. Say they take care of business against one of those teams and they get upset by one and they're 2 and You're- 1 heading into Lambeau. We're in this podcast going, that's expected. Losing by 10 at Lambeau, we're 2 and 2. That's great. Whatever. But it's the fact that you lost those two winnable games before Green Bay that makes this one sting a little bit more than I think it would normally. Just losing by 10 to Rodgers in his house, you know? Yeah, it definitely could have been worse right. for the Packers. I mean, I think – or against the Packers, rather. I think the, the the offense scored more points than we expected it to. Yes. And the defense did a decent enough job of containing Rodgers. I if, thought you, the- if your offense is halfway competent, that's a game. That that is it's on twenty seven seventeen. It's more so like twenty seven twenty four, twenty seven or yeah. twenty seven twenty four. And maybe exactly. they have the ball with the chance to get Boswell in range to tie it late. You know, that's the kind of game you have with a competent offense. If your offense is halfway competent, it is absolutely a football game because you can you can throw out these four yard drives or four play drives. I don't think that happens because on both of those short yardage drives for the Packers. It was resulted in a fumble, and it the the second one ended with that botched punt by Presley Harvin. You don't a excuse me. You don't start that drive, or you don't finish that second drive that resulted in that punt on your own 20, 25 yard line. You're you're moving the ball at least somewhat down the field. So even if Harvin does botch the punt, say you're at your own thirty, that way at least they're starting at their own forty, maybe their own their own 35 not on the opposition's 40 yard uh 40 yard line well let's get to the play that i think really swung the momentum in this game and really might have swung the game to be quite honest with you that's the end of the first half packers have the ball driving down the field after the steelers get a field goal from boswell to make it 14 to 10 this is a big big possession for the steelers defense because Mm -hmm. the packers Going to get the ball back to start the next half, so you don't want Rodgers to get a two-for-one on you here. Uh, it was pretty clear early that he was going to be able to move them down the field. Uh, I remember our, our good buddy Adam Crowley, who was working with us for the Steelers game, said, got <laughs> to hold him to a field goal here. Got to hold him to a field goal here. This is crucial. And they did that just that. They were in Steelers' territory, but the Steelers' defense does not break after bending. They force Aaron Rodgers off the field and the Mason Crosby field goal unit on. What happens? Joe Hayden, Minka Fitzpatrick, timed the snap almost perfectly, it seems. Minka Fitzpatrick not only gets the block, but he scoops up the football, and he is free and clear to motor down the field for about 76 yards and a touchdown. But wait, there's a flag behind the play, the most dreaded thing you hate to see pop up on your TV after your team makes a big play. The refs ruled Joe Hayden offside on the play, and it was real close. It was real close, but when you really slow that thing down, I think it was the perfect play from Joe Hayden. I think he timed that snap as well as Troy Polamalu used to back in his heyday. I think it's a product of a play happens in real time, and it looks so good that it's almost too good to be true for the refs, and they just almost out of instinct throw the flag because they say, kicks never get blocked in the NFL, especially as egregiously as that one was. They got to be offsides there, and that's what we saw happen. 
I think the difference I think the here, flag came after the block, not during the actual offside, quote unquote. I think the difference here is if you go back and redo that play in its exact f- formation and the refs don't throw the flag, the replay is going to show Joe Hayden and make it coming off the edge. And wh- what you're going to hear out of reactions from Packers fans, from Steelers fans, and from third-party fans is, wow, that timing by Joe Hayden couldn't be more perfect. You're not, you're not, you're not hearing, do you think he was offsides? You, you're saying, no. You're saying, wow, what a perfectly executed jump on the ball Joe Hayden make a Fitzpatrick made. You're not hearing anyone say the ref should have thrown the flag there. No, exactly, and maybe Packers fans. But that's just homerism bleeding in, and anybody whose team got the kick block is going to try to look for any reason why that actually shouldn't have happened and it was really illegal. But that's exactly right. If that happens and the play is let go, we're not seeing Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter that night being like, pretty questionable call here in the Packers game, giving the Steelers a little extra head start, it seems, Stripes. Like, no one is saying that. You know, we're not having Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy breaking down how the refs blew that call at right. the end of the first half. Everybody is talking about how phenomenal Minka Fitzpatrick is as a player and how the Steelers, even though their offense is stagnant and can't get things going, they're still such a competitive team. They find ways to, because you know, of their defense. they find ways to get points because of that defense, because of playmakers like Minka Fitzpatrick, you know. And Joe Hayden. Yeah. And I just don't understand why the refs have to feel a need to throw a flag sometimes when a play looks too good. And people might think I'm crazy for saying that, but I really get this feeling that sometimes when that game is going crazy fast in real time, especially when you're on the field, things look too good to be true sometimes for referees. And I really think this was a product of that because a lot of people who were at the game in Lambeau tweeted how that flag came in a little bit late. And I really think it was a product of they saw the kick get blocked. I mean, and it wasn't even like a last second tip of the football with his fingertip block. He almost caught the ball out of the air when it was kicked. And I really think the ref saw that and said, that never happens. You you guys had to be offsides in order for that to start. But when you watch the replay, Joe Hayden and Minka start to move as the long snapper's arm starts to go back. I think it was a perfectly timed snap. I think they were absolutely risking going offsides. Mm-hmm. I think that was in their mindset. They were both saying to each other, hey, we need a play here. Let's just jump this. If we go offsides, we go offsides. What's five extra yards? They're still going to kick the field goal. And instead, they did it perfectly, but Stripes called it back. Instead of 17-10 to 10 Packers at halftime, it really should have been 17-14 to 14 Steelers heading into the locker room. And I'm not saying that ends the game. Packers would have gotten the ball, obviously, to start the second half, and who knows what they'd probably do. I'd still probably lean towards the Packers winning that football game. But, my God, going into halftime 17-14, to that's a completely different ball game. You're fired up. Momentum is on your side. And you can kind of change the offense a little bit to tailor it towards protecting a lead more. And, oh, by the way, which we'll get into in a little bit too, Najee Harris is running the football. Absolutely. 4.1 yards per carry. So it might not have been a bad idea to be salting away a lead in this one because it looked like you could get some ground game going. But instead, you're down 17-10. to 10. The Packers get the ball to start the second half. They kick another field goal. You're down by double digits. I mean, that's a pretty big swing there from the stripes making a bad call in my mind. No, it's a crucial swing, or it's a crucial call that they made that I think changed the tide of the game. 
change change the outcome of the game. I think there there are certain plays that can happen at certain times that have more impact because of when they happen. Ergo, the James Harrison interception in Super Bowl Forty Three. I know that's the world's biggest stage, but if you have that play in the middle of the second quarter and the middle of the third quarter. And in the first quarter, you're thinking, oh, that was a great play. It's not a momentum swinger. You go into halftime, the Cardinals are threatening to score a touchdown to tie it up, where I think they take the lead, and the Seagulls just take it back and run the ball all the way down the field as time expires. This is the same thing. Uh, granted, it's a regular season game compared to a Super Bowl, but it's the, the circumstance of when it happens is so crucial to the importance of the actual play. Your, your offense had been struggling ever since you scored that opening touchdown drive. You were down already. It was, I believe, 14 to, to, to 10 at that point. You're without the lead after you securely had it within your first drive. You get the lead back because of the great play by your defense, which you know is the backbone of this team. There, there is no doubt, despite the, the talent that is there on offense, the defense is what carries this team. And you go into the halftime saying, we now have the lead. We know Najee's having a good day. The offensive line is having a good enough day. It's best day. It's having its best day. It's best day, day of the yeah. season so far. Uh, maybe it's second compared to Buffalo. But I, Najee Harris is having a better day in Green Bay than he didn't have in Buffalo. Um, and you say to yourself, this is our winning formula. Our defense can carry us. And our offense just has to keep the ball in its hands and not turn it over and be out there for more than three, four, five plays per drive, and we can win this football game. I said to myself before this game that if the Steelers want to win, they're going to need that splash, and I think they're going to need that splash to translate into six points immediately, just like the Buffalo game with the block punt and Ulysses Gilbert taking it into the end zone for seven. Uh, I think that needed to happen in this game. So when Minka's running down the sidelines – I'm kind of putting my hands over my mouth, kind of shocked because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, this, I was, once he went into that end zone or once he was at about the 30 and I knew he was gone, I said, this is exactly what they needed. I started to tell myself in those little 10 seconds where I didn't see the flag, this, now, now I think the Steelers can win this football game. Now I believe that this upset is feasible with a touchdown like that because. When you get a punt blocked or a kick blocked and then you have that taken to the house on you, the times you end up overcoming that and winning that game are really few and far between now. Maybe those few and far between times are with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not saying it was like a lock if they would have let that make a touchdown hold. But, man, I do think that it comes down to the wire a lot more. It's a one-score game. I think maybe it takes Rodgers a pretty nice drive late in the game to – kick a field goal or score a touchdown to win for the Packers. I think the Steelers definitely cover the spread. I just think that it's a completely different looking ball game if the refs get that call right. And I mean, you're saying here that you think Aaron Rodgers can overcome that. I I think the Steelers it's it's enough for the Steelers to win that game. I do too. I, I really do. I, I think he could overcome it, but I'm not saying it would have been a, a for sure thing. Right. And you these refs, I mean these players are paid millions of dollars there's so much on the line there's so many stakes involved in these games I mean for a team like the Steelers you're trying to avoid a one and three start in a division where everybody else is three and one you're trying to avoid being in a two-game hole 
just four games into the season and a ref makes a mistake like that. I mean, it's 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 maddening, but what's extra maddening is you don't hear anything from the league about it other than, oh, arbitrary, oh, we're sorry, Pittsburgh, like, we got it wrong. During but the, they don't even do the, that. They don't the even do that anymore. When, when Nance and Romo threw it to Gene territory, he said, yeah, I don't know if I would have made that Yeah, call. he's toeing the line. He's trying not to just flat out say, yeah, these refs blew that call because he's also working for the league as well. But, you know, they, they used to send these letters out and be like, oh, we're sorry, Pittsburgh, that we blew this call. Like, here's a here's a box of chocolate turtles for you. Like, they don't even do that anymore because it shows that they're not they're doing weak, well. Yeah. But, like, the fact that refs don't have to sit in front of media after games like this when they make a call like that, the fact that there's no accountability towards it, that does really bother me, and I'm, I, I understand that this can kind of come across as sour grapes. There's a lot that the Steelers did wrong in this game, and those are the reasons why they lost. It's not on this play particularly, but that is a massive momentum swinger like we've illustrated that gets taken off the board. Oh, yeah. It's really hard not to dwell on it a little bit and just ponder the question, what if the ref would have pocketed that flag like he should have? Where would we be sitting today? What would we be talking about the Steelers like? We knew going into this game that Scott Novak and his crew were going to be flag be happy, this game. flag happy, the most crew. flag happy referee crew in the league. They have, called, and I feel like that happened in this game too. They had called in the previous three games sixty penalties. That's an average of twenty penalties accepted. So that's not even that's minimum. I mean, you're you're talking about. You're not even including the declined penalties that come in. They were actually behaved today. There was only eight accepted penalties, five for the Steelers, three for the Packers. Oh, well, only three for the Packers, yeah. one of which was this block field goal. Yes. So you knew Scott Novak could have an impact on this game. I just didn't know it was going to come in that form. And then, of course, the Packers get the ball to start the second half. The Steelers' defense does a good job, though, in holding them to just a field goal. But like you said, the offense became stagnant in that second half. They punt the ball away after just five plays and 12 yards, getting one first down after the Packers' opening uh, drive, 12 plays, 84 yards to get to the end, 64 yards, excuse me, to get to field goal range. Uh, and then once you punt that ball back to the Packers, that was, of course, the bad punt from Presley Harvin. Only Rodgers only needed to go 40 yards to get into the end zone. So once again, you give them a short field, and they make you pay for it. But you look, and two of the three put Packers touchdowns came when they had to go a short field against the Steelers' defense. When you had to make them go the long the long game, they only got into the end zone one time. You were able to keep them out of the end zone and stall drive two different occasions and make them kick field goals. So when you have a defense like the Steelers that are elite, yeah, they had a tough day going up against one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But you saw when Rodgers needed to go 60, 70 yards, defense was able to bend but not break completely and hold them to field goals. But when you only give them 40 yards, 20 yards to go, that's just too tall of an order for your defense to stop. I mean, you saw it this you saw it yesterday against the Packers. You know what happened last week, the second Ben Roethlisberger interception that led to that very short yardage drive that resulted in the Jamar Chase touchdown, his second of the day. Uh, you saw it happen uh, against the Raiders too, where the Raiders in the second half were able to take advantage of an incompetent Pittsburgh offense, and it didn't result of an interception, but that 
Henry Ruggs touchdown was the dagger. It just seems that this offense is making life harder for the defense, and that's something you can't have when your defense is as good as it is, right? This defense doesn't look the same at the same elite level it has for the last two years in 2019 and 2020. It's a, it's, it's a different defense to me. But when your defense is the better unit, you have to step up. You have to make your life or their life as easy as possible, and that's not what's happening. And I think that's what's really crushing this team is the fact that the defense can't be anywhere near that elite level it has been for the past couple of years. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. Thank you, as always, for giving us a listen. For Tom, for Jacob Recht, I am Tom Opperman, and we will be back talking to you on our next episode of the Steelers Standard.